Hey guys, what's up? Just during the interview, wanted to correct myself. The proper pronunciation for the worst person in the world participants is the director. It's the movie is directed by Joaquin Trier. The lead actress, her name is Renata Renzva. Renata Renzva. The male lead is Anders Danielson Lee. And you might have actually heard my interview with Anders earlier this week, a couple of days ago, because I posted it up on the Cinematics Facebook feed. Finally, after this interview, and after this review I do with Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes for the latest installment for Cinematics, there is an interview afterwards with Tim Kirkby, the director behind Last Looks. And Last Looks, is it stars Charlie Hunnam and Mel Gibson. Lucy Fry is also in it. Paul Ben Victor, who I, I mentioned in the interview, is also in it. Great character actor. You might have seen him in The Wire and a whole bunch of other movies like Drowning Mona as well. Excellent. I love his stuff. Yeah, so my interview with Tim Kirkby is tagged on to the end of this episode. Last Looks is in theaters as we speak today on Friday, and it's also available on VOD. You can support Cinematics and find your film, the, the podcast, by checking it out via our Amazon link. Or, most importantly, you can check it out on your own and tell me, Anderson, and Bruce, and Eric what you think of Last Looks as well, as as well as the worst person in the world. If there's a way you can... Right now on Friday, it's Friday, so New York and L.A., it's currently playing. If there's a way you live in New York and L.A. and you want to see a very romantic, heartbreaking, just all-encapsulating experience, check it out. And on February 11th, it will be in wider markets as well. So maybe you can check it out in the theaters. It's worth going to your local theater to check out the worst person in the world. That's enough for me. Here is me, Bruce, and Eric for the latest episode of Cinematics. Anderson will be back in a couple weeks. To recap the final two weeks of this month, and then again, Tim Kirkby, towards the end of this episode. Thanks again for all the years of support on Cinematics, and talk to you guys soon. Bye. And we're back for another month of Cinematics. I don't even know how to actually start this, Cinematics. Just know, listeners, that Anderson will be back here middle of the week, middle, middle of the week, middle of the month, for us to recap the final two weeks. But here, as per usual, I have my... Find your film co-hosts Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky to join us for the first installment of this month's cinematics. Bruce Perky, a.k.a. Class Action Perk, how has the last week been for you regarding movies? And do you have a lot of stuff, really exciting stuff to talk about? A lot of good good stuff? A lot of good things? I would have some good things. and Well, I, th- I would say on cinematics, yes. I have a oh, lot of good stuff. A lot of oh, on cinematics, and then on find your film. What you, which we're going to tape right after this? Do you have really amazing stuff, even better than cinematics? I have some amazing stuff. <laughs> you have some amazing stuff. No comment from Bruce Berkey. He is being very coy and very, very harsh. Maybe our find your film episode might be a little bit on the weak side because of the quality of movies we're covering. We'll see. Eric Holmes, what do you think? How has the last week been for you regarding movie watching? Have, been, have you seen some gems that we can talk about? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, we got, certainly got uh, some good ones to talk about uh, this week or uh, on cinema. Oh, my brain's in both Your brain. <laughs> We're doing cinematics right now. We're doing cinematics. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we got some good ones on this and uh, we got, it, we got at least a couple good ones for find your film. 
of specifically the box movie. Can't wait to talk about that one. So, oh, the box movie. You saw okay. So, what Eric is talking about for our other podcast, Find Your Film. Bruce Perky does a, this thing called What's in the Box, and listeners of the podcast get to actually recommend movies for him to watch. They email him or they put it on our Cinematics Facebook group movies for him to watch and he'll put the monikers in a piece of paper these little pieces of paper will go into a box and every single week he randomly draws a movie from the box so that is part of our find your film thing but we're here on cinematics for this purposes of this episode is to clue you guys in on the first two weeks of february some of the good movies that will be coming out now you know what let's just cut to the chase right now we have a great movie coming out february 4th here's a here's a um, piece of bad news it comes out on Friday, February 4th in New York and LA, but on February 11th, it it has a wider release. This movie that we're talking about is The Worst Person in the World. It centers in, it's set in Oslo and it centers on the, on this woman who, well, the, the movie's set in about, I think around 12 chapters and it shows different pieces of her life regarding her relationship with this graphic artist, gra- comic book writer, creator, and she's a little bit younger than him. And essentially, it's a romantic comedy slash drama centering on their relationship and mainly centering on her growth and coming of age as a young woman. That is the worst person in the world. It is directed by Joachim Trier, and he's previously directed movies like Louder Than Bombs. I think he also did this movie called The Reprise and also most recently, Thelma in 2017. First up, Eric Holmes, the worst person in the world. Everyone is saying that this is one of the best films from last year. It's getting a lot of awards buzz. How did this movie hit you? Um, I wouldn't say it's one of the best movies of last year. I'd say it's one of the best movies of this year. And <laughs> it's hit me pretty well so far. Um, I, I really like the, uh, I guess we'll start with the title because I, I really like the, uh, the title and, uh, you talked a little bit, you interviewed the, uh, director and, uh, he talked kind of a little bit about that and I really, oh, right, right. I, I interviewed the director, uh, the, not the director, the actor, Andrew oh, okay. uh, La. Yeah. He was, he's the, he's the graphic artist, the comic book writer in this. Yeah. And he was talking about that, that, um, the film's title, right? So, yeah, I, I like how it, um, you know, the, from a certain point of view, like you would see this, the, the main uh, female character is, uh, you know, the worst person in the world. But, you know, she's just a she's a young woman living her life. You know, she's not beholden to anyone. Uh, you know, you date people. And sometimes uh, sometimes when you date people, it doesn't work out and you go your separate ways. And that, you know, to the people involved. They like to hold a grudge on people, but when you look at them kind of separate, you're like, eh, they're just, it didn't work out. Move on. And, uh, this got, uh, pretty sad towards the end. Um, but I, I thought this was a really good relationship drama and I would certainly recommend it, but I do not think it's the best of last year because it comes out February 4th. Right, you know, actually, <laughs> actually, fellow podcaster Peter Beta was asking me this question about worst person in the world. Does this does this movie count as one of the best, best films of 2022 or 2021? Yes, the worst person in the world counts as a film from 2021 because they actually had a, a mini release in December, back in December in select markets, and also it's vying for this year's Academy Award. Yes, technically, it is a 2022 release. But for the purposes of this year's awards, it was released in December 2021 
for critics such as myself to view, which I unfortunately I didn't <laughs> I didn't view it until February. So actually, oh. the worst yeah two things it, the worst person counts as 2021, even though it's a 2022 release. Yes, Eric. It, in that case, um, in honor of them, I will not put it on my list for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> you won't put it on your list at 20. You know, it's a weird thing about best of the years. You know, everyone has a certain de- deadline for 2021. My deadline was probably it's one of these things where there's a bunch of movies I missed. I I actually at my house today I received the screener link to Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Steven Spielberg being also Anderson Cowan's all-time favorite director. I received the screener, now this actual screener to West Side Story. And you know what? I didn't vote for that first round. And now I'm going to have to actually watch it and then vote for it. And maybe it might, who knows? It might be one of my favorite films of the year. So it's kind of screwy. Bruce Perky, where do you land? The worst person in the world does that. Are you counting it as 2021 or are you counting it for the purview of this year, 2022? Well, first of all, I would say hashtag Sant Anderson Coward Warhorse. So that would be the first thing. <laughs> um, second, I would be um, no. Most of us are not special uh, reviewers what are, what are you and talking critics about? like you, Greg. Did I so ever say I'm special? Person will no. actually what? be Come counting on. it in 2022. And also, if you're making your own list, count it for whatever damn year you want to. That's wait, wait, my am answer. I, okay. Am I am I one of those idiots <laughs> who actually humble brags it and actually takes a picture of my West Side Story screener and posts it on our Cinemax Facebook group for people to? see am i that kind of guy bruce am i that guy there's there's a lot of space there's a lot you know in fact i edit spaces from our podcast for cinema for for find your film i'm not going to edit that space because bruce wanted that space for effect meaning i am a little bit of a narcissist speaking of narcissism one could actually interpret the, the main character for the worst person in the world as look I'm not reading it, but some people may say, hey, you know what? This this girl, she's a narcissist because she she doesn't want to settle down with this guy. She may may not want to actually be pregnant. She wants to lead her own life. Now, Bruce, that can you talk about your question to me regarding how this movie is flipped on its head because of the sexist nature of, of our society where, you know, it's... Well, I think this is the kind of movie that if it was flipped, like if this if this same protagonist was a guy, like generally we're going to give that person a lot more leeway. Oh, he's out. You know, living his life, he's in his 20s, early 30s, he's kind of doing his thing. I think we tend to kind of, I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong, maybe people will tend to be like, oh, wow, you know, you know how terrible of her to be doing this or whatever. I, I didn't take it that way. What, what I would say is, what I found really refreshing about this is so many stories we see are like coming of age, high school, beginning of college, or... There are other periods of life, but this is kind of that that kind of in-between period. You don't get a ton of movies about that kind of like, hey, I'm an adult, but I don't really feel like an adult. And how do I feel like an adult? And like, what do I do? How do I find my place in this world? But I'm also supposed to be responsible. And that's what this whole movie is about. And you mentioned the structure, the chapter thing. Yes. For me, it works really good in this because it ends up almost allowing the movie to have all these little vignettes and scenes and let them all add up to a to a full picture. And it allows you to have some really interesting stylistic things happen. You know, where in one scene we have almost the surrealistic um, mushroom trip, and I'm just going to say that, where it really <laughs> plays around with what we're going to see in that. There's another scene that's really stylized where she's running to meet somebody. Uh, and you even see a, a still of that and I think the poster for it. And that scene's really striking. But then on the other scenes are just like um her going to a party and meeting somebody and getting very flirtatious and how that works and that. That's amazing too. Uh, I think this is a pretty, pretty insightful and interesting movie. Uh, a really great character study. I think that 
if people can let it go, their misconceptions and just say, this is, this is like real life. I mean, it's messy. This is what happens in life. You don't always make the decisions you want to make for yourself, but sometimes you make those decisions. And lastly, I know, I knew, I thought, I guess I thought I know, knew that you would love this movie. And the reason is this, if Woody Allen were still relevant and making more serious movies, this is the kind of movie he would be making. This, this fits that bill. How dare you, Bruce Perky? Because while I was watching The Worst Person in the World, I was thinking, I actually gave that latest Woody Allen movie a really positive review. That movie is shite compared to The Worst Person in the World. Yes. In fairness, though, a lot of movies are is are they're pretty much shite compared to The Worst Person in the World because they're broken down in chapters. There's a beautiful sense of cinema to certain por- portions of this movie, but then like also some of the chapters are innocuous, meet cute rom com kind of stuff intermixed, and it's really good, and it's really first rate elevated. This is like if Woody Allen was at the peak of his powers and then he threw in also the flourishes of Bergman Island thrown in with that as well. The movie is set in Oslo. I'm assuming me, Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky don't know much about Oslo as well as a lot of the cinephiles all over the world. And I think this is sort of a really – it's not just a a meet-cute of different people and the worst person in the world. It's also a meet-cute regarding Oslo. I really wanted to go to Oslo after watching this movie. Eric, Bruce, any any thoughts on on Oslo? I have no thoughts on Oslo. No thoughts um, on Oslo. Got got nothing for got that. Got nothing. It's a beautiful it's a, I got a it seems I got like a stupid a, pun. I prefer uh, what, fast, yes. but that's yes. about it. <laughs> Ken, uh, instead of thoughts on Oslo, can we just mention have we mentioned I don't know how to say her name. Uh, is it Renate Rienz? Yeah, it's Renata. It's Renata. I don't know how to uh, pronounce her last name. Yes, but Renata. Yeah. She's because fantastic. She's a powerhouse in this movie and she has to play so many different she's one character but she has to play all these facets of you know serious funny goofy uh, you know, out of it uh, you, humane you go, humanistic yeah, yeah you go with the flow on her and if she can't carry it in those different scenes um this movie kind of falls on its face and it doesn't fall on its face so it's really good I, I yeah this also like, I, I also yeah. liked how it <clears throat> um at the beginning of the relationship because uh, the guy knew that she was young it's like, look, you know, you're young. You say, like you mentioned that she was narcissistic and maybe, but I think that's more of her being young is it's more so that than, uh, you know, uh, saying something bad about her character. Um, right. you know, cause young people, they, they, you know, fall in love easy. They fall out of love easy. You know, they're passionate. They're, they're trying to find themselves and that's what this character is doing. So I think the label her, you know, it is a bad person probably not entirely fair and i think that's kind of, it feels like it's kind of one of the points this this movie is driving at because yeah. we get to follow her we understand that oh yeah she's just young she's having fun uh but she's cheating on that one guy yeah but i mean you know that's that's what you do when you're young i guess and Eric, the, the same thing you're talking about is also really interesting that same moment you're talking about where she he's kind of talking about you know hey you're like this like, it also shows that thing that happens in relationships too sometimes where it's like, you both identify the problem that's going to happen, but that doesn't stop you. <laughs> you know what it I mean? doesn't stop you, nope. And that's yeah. a big thing in this movie too. It, that's what I mean about it being really, in a lot of ways, it's really realistic, even though it's stylized, it understands relationships and it's not afraid to say like, hey, this is, this is kind of how it works sometimes. And it's not, it's a judgment call. It's like, hey, everyone's trying, you know? 
I think what's really cool about this movie on our Cinemax Facebook group, we had a little bit of a discussion about the worst person in the world. I was saying how much I loved it. There's another, there's another person in our group. I believe his name is Noah Kirkpatrick, a buddy of ours. He was mentioning, yeah, he liked it, but he, ha- he was saying that he hadn't hit his late, mid to late twenties yet. So he was trying to relate to it. And you were, I think Bruce, you mentioned something like some of these events from this movie happened a long time ago. But to your point, Bruce, right. I think one of the really cool things about the worst person in the world is, a certain age group might gravitate towards this movie, but me being 50, there's um, without get, giving too much away, there is a, a definite turn in this movie that will resonate with people who are older, who have dealt with so many weighty things in their life. It, is that one of the cool things about this uh, for you, Bruce, the fact that it really can hit different ages and you can come to it from with a different sensibility, I, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, there's enough here that it's pretty universal. But I would say, with that, I would say that if you're in a certain stage of your life with relationships and with, you know, kind of your own self, I guess, identity, this could be a really, really, really important movie. This could be like a defining movie for you, for sure. Yes, very good. This could be a very good, very good piece. I think that goes for most movies, doesn't it? Like, uh, well, it you does, know, you watch it's... Garbage Pail Kids as a, as a kid, you're like, this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> I'm past my Garbage Pail Kids stage. Yeah, yeah. You can watch <laughs> Garbage Pail Kids when you're in your 50s. It's like, who the hell made this and what were they thinking? <laughs> That's very cool. That's a, it's an interesting analogy. The Garbage Pail Kids and the worst person in the world. Very interesting analogy. Again, the movie opens in New York and LA February 4th in wider markets and city, different cities on February 11th. Eric Holmes, rate it. What is it? What is the rating for this movie? Um. Well, back to what we were saying. If you're in your 20s, uh, this might be a two. Um. But I'm in my 40s, so I would give this. Uh. I give this four stars. Four stars. Cool, Bruce. I. I. By the way, I'm. I'm giving the worst person in the world five stars. Bruce, what star it down? What do you got? Um. I think I started right after I watched it. I was about four stars, but it's sat. I've sat with it, and it. I consider to continue to think about it. So I think this is four and a half for me. Very good. Very good. Also a little bit of a promotion for cinematics. My interview that Eric Holmes was mentioning with Anders Danielson Lai, it will be out. It will be out on this podcast feed later this week. It's about a seven or eight minute interview with him. Did I do an okay job, Eric? Did I, did I you did fumble the bag? Oh. And in fact, I think, uh, I think your interview, and I'm not just saying this cause you're here. I would even say it when you're not here cause it's recording and you'll hear it eventually. <laughs> But uh, I, I thought it was a really good interview, and I think that it's a good interview to uh, listen to or watch after you watch the movie. Because I think the conversation you guys had uh, gave would give a lot more insight to uh, maybe someone watched this and they thought, oh, it's boring, or they didn't get it, or it wasn't for them or whatever. But I think the conversation you had kind of uh, opened the movie up a little bit. Oh, thank you. Well, you know why, Eric? Because I was tr- trying for once to be insightful, something that you and I are not. We're not insightful people. I <laughs> no, tried to pull not. a, I tried to, I, yes, thank you. We're not. I tried to pull a Bruce Perky in my interview with Andrews Danielson Lai. Hopefully I did Bruce Perky a good service. Did I, uh, Bruce, any comments on that? I, we were, we were, me and Eric I, were saying that you're insightful. Um, I just, just like Anderson know Cowan. What fumbled the bag means. What does fumble, fumble the bag mean? Fumble the, oh, you know what? We're going to, we're going to actually, <laughs> we're going to, that's, that's for another movie where those guys 
are going to be reviewing this movie called Air Doll, a.k.a. The Life of Greg Strzovosti for the other podcast. That's called – Greg Strzovosti tends to fumble his bags. It's a, I'm sorry for the graphic. This is a family show. To, it is a family show. Family yes, show. I'm sorry. Cinematics. We can't swear. Mouth. Yes, potty mouth. I apologize. Great, you can listen to that great, podcast great. for the – that is fumbling the, the bag. Beeps, the bleeps are going to be vast and mighty. Yes, yes, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I was no more innuendos, but we're talking about Insightful. Another movie that's coming out on this week on February, the week of February 4th, it's a documentary. We're going to start with Insightful. I have no idea, very little idea about the era of punk rock. Eric Holmes, your knowledge of the era, are you an expert? Are you an enthusiast? Do you have, or do you just have a cursory knowledge of the punk rock era? Eric. Um, the year that this came out, I was too young for, uh, but I mean, I've, I've played in bands and I've, you know, I've, I've been in a punk rock scene for sure. Uh, probably like more nineties. Uh, but okay. yeah, I, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I, you know, I do recognize certain things in, in, uh, documentaries like this. Okay. Well, my, my, uh, punk rock era starts with green day. Bruce, did that offend you? I was just kidding. No, I was just Green Day's fine. No, 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 Green Day's fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, okay. Anyways, enough of that preamble. Polystyrene, I am a cliche. It's a documentary. I'm going to hand this. I'm going to hand this cinematics baton over to you, Bruce, because this is a very special project for you. This is a movie, a documentary that you've been wanting to see for, I guess, the last month or so. So uh, take it away. Actually, more like about the last year. Um, Are you because, serious? Wow. Yeah, because this had premiered back, I want to say, maybe Sundance. I know it was out quite a while, and I've been messaging and talking to the uh, <laughs> one of the co-directors, uh, Paul Singh, uh, for probably about that long. And they've released it on TV in, in England, like back in the summer, and I couldn't get to it because you can't link to their TV stations because you're in America and it knows that. <laughs> and I tried a bunch of times. Uh, it was also co-directed by Celeste Bell, who is uh, Polly Styrene's daughter. Um, and she's kind of the uh, de facto, I guess, narrator framing device of this. Anyway, Polly Styrene. Who's Polly Styrene? Uh, Polly Styrene was the lead singer uh, of X-Ray Specs. And X-Ray Specs was a British punk band in the same era as The Clash and The Sex Pistols and, you know, kind of all the damned and all the kind of the, the real seminal, like, British uh, punk explosion of, like, what, the late 70s. So uh, this kind of follows her, uh, but it kind of does it from the perspective of her daughter, and um, which kind of gives a little bit of a twist. You know, her daughter's kind of looking back and kind of... Um, I guess kind of reconciling her feelings for her mother as a mom versus her mother as this kind of um, now kind of um, feminist, you know, uh, punk rock icon who is, you know, now you're going to see all these people like, you know, Sonic Youth and all these other people like popping up in here and saying how influential she was to them. So as as far as that goes, it's it's pretty interesting to see her perspective. But I think more interesting to me was just the story of this woman that became polystyrene this you know multiracial woman growing up in england in the 70s and how she falls into the punk scene and how her own voice is kind of shines through the kind of the the stereotypes of that scene uh and that was the stuff that really really um kind of shined out to me i'll see what you guys think of it but um i think it was pretty good i think it's a pretty solid documentary yeah, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed this documentary as well because as someone who's absolutely ignorant of the scene, I I got to actually learn firsthand from Polysyrene. And the fact is, 
the good thing is it's not a Talking Heads documentary. If it was a Talking Heads doc- type of documentary, it would still work. But the fact, like you said, it's from the POV of her daughter, Celeste Bell, who also co-directs the documentary. What makes this work for me is Celeste Bell, sometimes the, the children are not that interesting and you're actually, they're sort of a cipher. You're, you don't really care about them as much. They're just sort of your gateway to the popular icon that they're, they're who's their parent. But Celeste Bell is actually an interesting person. She came off as interesting to me. And she, Celeste Bell is actually doing a lot of the VO in this mo- in this documentary. And I like her voice. So, I mean, a lot of superficial things like this work for me. Also, just learning about polystyrene's life, it's just a little bit heartbreaking as well. So, very insightful documentary on my end. Just a, a total worthwhile watch. And I definitely recommend it. Also, just the voice of polystyrene regarding diary entries and writings. It's voiced by Ruth Nega, the Oscar nominee for the film Loving, and more recently, the critically acclaimed Netflix film, I believe it's Netflix, Passing. So Eric Holmes, we'd love to hear what you think of polystyrene. I am a cliche. Well, much like I always said, the worst person in the world is meant to be ironic. I really appreciate that I polystyrene, I am a cliche, is not ironic because that is pretty much what this documentary is. Uh, it's a tortured artist, and um, you know, I, I mentioned I played in bands, and I remember it being fun. I remember playing music was fun. Um, most people that play in bands, uh, they do it because it's fun. If they do it because they have to get out a political message, usually they get into politics or you know some sort of social program or something, and uh, you don't get your the idea of a tortured artist saying, "I just got to play in the punk band because I got to let the world know what I'm thinking." That doesn't work. That's not a thing that actually happens. That's a thing that happens in movies. And I, all the band stuff, I kind of uh, didn't, I didn't really click with and didn't really like too much. It just, it just felt like the cliche tortured artist thing Um, where it got interesting was when it did get into her more, uh, first of all, her parenting, the questioning of how good of a parent she was, which probably not that great. Um, I appreciated, you know, the, um, you know, stuff that she had to go through, you know, being mixed race, um, the joining the, uh, the Harry carries <laughs> Harry Christmas. Yeah. Harry yeah. Christmas. Harry Carey. Uh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Ryan was the character actor. Or Harry Carey voice. Yeah. But, uh, um, the, I think joining the Hare Krishnas is clearly a mistake. Um, but <laughs> I, I did, I met one of them in the airport one time and it's like, uh, yo, you want to learn about Hare Krishna? I'm like, cool. Here's a book. I'm like, thanks. And I'm like, cool. 50 bucks. I'm like, here's your book back, sir. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't really have much respect for them, but Hey, if you're a Hare Krishna, good on you. Just, you know, keep it away from me. But the, the, there's some there's some cool stuff in like the last half of the documentary, and I think this would have worked better if they would have leaned in more on that. Uh, lean, um, you know, and lean in more on that and lean less on the uh, on the band stuff because I don't think that the uh, filmmakers, I I don't think they understand 
what it's like to be in a band and have fun. I mean, clearly, the, the, apparently band is <laughs> serious stuff and there's no joy to be had whatsoever. And, uh, you know, but I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't give it too much, too much guff because, you know, if it wasn't for polystyrene, man, she was just an icon, man. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be <laughs> podcasting right now. man. <laughs> uh, this is, this is for uh, fans of polystyrene. And there's some interesting stuff towards the last half, but I'm not on board with this too much. I've, I've seen this before and I've seen it done a lot better. Kind of interesting that it's her daughter uh, co-directing it. But I mean, you know. My, How many my stars niece, would you give this? How many stars? I don't like two stars. Two stars <laughs> I'm, for polystyrene. I'm not high on this at all. Okay, polystyrene. Two stars for Eric Holmes. Four stars for me. I actually had no idea who polystyrene was. When they actually, when you actually get to see her sing, wow! I wanted to listen to more of her work. I I actually went to Spotify to actually two albums. I the, the last album they mentioned towards the third act. I started listening to, listening to some of that as well. Thought it was very inspiring. Her voice cuts through like glass. Absolutely, will listen to her more. So obviously, for me, completely different take on it. I'm completely value added documentary. Loved it. Four stars. Will listen to her music. Moving forward, Bruce, your final thoughts on this movie and this documentary. How many um, what you're rating? I am probably about three and a half for me because I didn't get as much from it because I knew some of that stuff already. Uh, only thing I would counter Eric a little bit is that I would say that to me, I don't. To me, I don't get her much as much as presenting herself as a tortured artist as much as I kind of took it as. She has all this stuff that she kind of wants to do. Like she wants to do this weird stuff with fashion. She wants to do this weird stuff with her poetry and all this kind of stuff. And punk rock was just a way for her to do it. Like it was a place for her in that era, like in the late seventies for a woman of her situation, it was like pretty much the only venue for her to do that. Um, Or one of the only venues. I understand all that, but I'm no, saying I get like, it, but... the, the, the tone of the documentary was, singer, the best singer that no one knew about. And I, I'm guessing and... that you're probably right as far as that. Like if Polly Styrene would have done her own, she probably would have had a lot more fun with it. Because if you look at the music, it isn't dour right. like that. So but, I, but, I, think, but, I, but I see I, some, I, I meet you halfway, Eric. That, I meet you but, halfway. But that's what I'm saying. With a with a documentary like this, you want to present the world as it is or as it was, or, you know, it, at the very least, as close as you can. You know, you're not going to do a documentary on uh, World War II and go, whoop, 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 you know, and play yeah. a bunch of comedy. Party time. Because <laughs> it wasn't fun. It wasn't funny. It was a dour, dark time. Um, you know, the uh, music is fun. And right. I, I didn't get any of that during the musical portions of it. And I get like, you know, get dour and dark when it gets in certain points. But like the front to back, the whole tone on this was music is tough, man. Music is so hard. I think <laughs> I think I guess we'll leave it at this. Like I, I kind of liked it a little bit more than you did. You obviously didn't as much, but and it, Greg liked it even more. I, love I it. think this is probably most value added for people who know the least. Because I think more people get more from this. Like, I would guess that probably, I don't know, 70, 80% of the viewing audience out there is like, I don't know who the hell polystyrene is. So to them, they're going to get like a lot out of this. So I I would say it's going to be at least maybe a three star for some of those people. I I will tell you, I told my friend uh, Steve that uh, because it's like, yeah, I was watching some uh, documentary about polystyrene. It's like, oh, from the X-ray specs. I like her. I'm like, oh, well. So he's he's definitely gonna watch this when it comes out. Like this is right up his alley. And so um 
And yeah, you're right. Probably people that aren't in, you know, as uh, know as much, maybe they'll get more out of it. It's just, yeah. 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 No, I, I'm I, one of those I've people. Been, I've been here, done that, got the t-shirt. <laughs> okay. All right. Again, Eric Holmes gives it two stars. Bruce Perky gives it three and a half. I give it four stars. Highly recommended on my end. And Bruce recommends it. Eric does not with a two star rating. So you can actually watch it. It's actually, it's only playing for one night on, let me see, when is this? This is actually coming out on, look, it's, it's actually one night only February 2nd. And I don't know, a nationwide theaters, one night only, but here's the most important part on February 4th on demand everywhere. That is again, polystyrene. I am cliche. So I am a cliche. Okay. So that's it. Now, is there anything else coming out on February 4th that we want to mention? Yes, Eric and Bruce will want to talk about one of their cinematic heroes. This is a, he's, I think Roland Emmerich is the guy. Can you guys talk about Moonfall? Are you both excited about the movie Moonfall? No. <laughs> but I picked I will, it okay, here. Why did, why'd you pick it, Eric? Why'd you pick Moonfall? Yeah, because, because we had to pick a movie for the fourth, and I figure everyone was already going to see Jack, uh, Jack A. Um, Jack, Jack A. A forever, because okay. this is okay. a family show. Yes, yes. Here. But Moonfall, it was like, dude, February 4th is a bleak week um, for movies. But Moonfall is the one movie that's like, this might be stupid enough to be kind of fun. And so that's that's kind of, you know, Roland Emmerich has a way of doing dumb fun. And it's like, expect nothing. And hopefully it'll get something a little better than nothing. <laughs> Oh here's, here's what I'll say about Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. He is probably the director that I have watched the most movies of who has never made a movie I've liked. I I mean, I'll watch him. I don't know what it is about him. He makes crappy movies that I will still watch. I don't know what he does, but he does something. Like for this, I don't. What is it? What is Moonfall? Is there aliens? I don't know. Why does it have the, uh, the, the nerdy guy from Game of Thrones as the hero? I don't know, but uh, I guess I'm going to find out eventually because I'm going to watch this crap. <laughs> So there you go. That's yeah, so funny. Again, a couple a couple of movies he's directed, which I haven't seen. Actually, I haven't seen a lot of his movies. He directed the 2019 release Midway. He directed the 2015 film Stonewall. He also directed White House Down. Yes, yes. He directed Anonymous 2012. Yeah, Anonymous 2012. The Day After Tomorrow, which I really enjoyed. And See, you know? it's, all, it's always good to watch people try to outrun freezing. <laughs> and also very funny eric and also he he directed mel gibson and heath ledger in the 2001 2000 film the patriot of Seen course it. independence day <laughs> independence Seen day got godzilla stargate universal soldier we love that Seen it. Yes. Seen see, it. <laughs> see like godzilla is a perfect example of what roland emmer can do he comes out with the movie and watch it and it's like oh this is so stupid i hate this and then about 15 10, 15 years later, you know, the kids look back and uh, look at Godzilla as a uh, misunderstood classic. So I'm sure in, uh, what is it, 2022 and uh, 2037, Moonfall will be seen as a misunderstood classic. Oh, very, <laughs> and we get very... to watch it this week. And if we want. 
<laughs> very, very interesting. So that is the week of February 4th. Now we're heading towards, who knows, maybe this movie might be good. Bruce Perky will probably watch it before anyone else because for some reason he watches <laughs> yeah. Olive Roland and <laughs> movies for February. So we're heading out for the second for a week we're going to preview. It's February 11th. My only pick for that week is a movie I saw it's called I Want You Back. I believe it. I, I am under embargo. I can't actually really talk about my initial thoughts on it. I, I think there might be some kind of embargo on this. But all I know, all I can say, it's an Amazon original movie. It is a romantic comedy starring Jenny Slate and Charlie Day. I will say this. If you like Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, I Want You Back might be your cup of tea. I'm a huge Jenny Slate fan, so I don't know if I can give an official review, but I will say I Want You Back is right was right up my alley. Again, Amazon Prime Video, February, February 11th, rom-com coming out that week. Bruce, what's your pick? Oh, Eric, what's your pick on that week as well? You have one pick? Real quick, though. Yep. Uh, you said Charlie Days and I Want You Back, and I know you're under embargo, so you really can't say anything, but yeah. can you mention, like, just nod or blink your eyes if Bird Law <laughs> shows up in this? Who's Bird Law? I don't. I who I don't it's even watch it. I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I don't do that. I don't do the sunny in Philadelphia thing. I apologize, but I, I, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna blink because I naturally do. But I don't. There's no. There's no. It's, I, I'll say this. There's no sunny uh, references. I don't think. If, right. No. Most if there stakers. is, yeah. So, all right. all right. But what's your what's your pick for February eleventh? Um, my pick February actually 11th. comes out on the tenth. So if it's coming out on the tenth one would figure that it's also playing on the 11th. So I picked the uh, Steven Soderbergh joint. Uh, it's called Kimmy, K-I-M-I. An agoraphobic Seattle tech worker uncovers evidence of a crime. Uh, it just looked like a, looked like a fun kind of uh, almost a run Lola run kind of thing. Maybe it's just because she's got the, the crazy blue hair, uh, but it looks like it's fun and it's, Steven Soderbergh, and you know, sometimes he makes some pretty cool movies. Uh, we got Zoe Kravitz, uh, Rita Wilson, Devin Ratray, whoever that is, uh, Jamie Camille, Robin Givens, Robin Givens. And uh, only thing that's worrying about me about this is it's written by David Kep. And sometimes, like the movies he writes, they can be pretty cool, like he got Phone Booth. And other times, uh, maybe not. No, no, so no. He, oh, he did phone booth. Did he do phone booth? I, I'm what pretty he sure he wrote phone booth. Really? Let me let me check. I think it was Larry Cohen. But I think I think you're thinking. Are you thinking Secret Window with Johnny Depp? Is that what the one that you're thinking about? Yeah, that David Kep wrote. Yeah, he wrote and directed. Love that one. Strove Echoes. Strove Echoes. Yeah, but and also Jurassic like, Park. Uh, you know, The Mummy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Angels and Demons. Like, uh, you know, he's got Hack. I, that's fitting. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> phone booth was phone booth was written. Phone booth was penned by Larry Cohen, aka I believe King Cohen. But then, yeah, look, look. Um, David Kep is interesting because he actually writes these genre kind of movies like Secret Window and oh. everything. But again, he's and he's he's uh, actually no, a right. studio writer as well. Yeah. So that was Larry I Cohen. was thinking Panic Room. I was Panic Room. Panic okay. Room. Panic Room. Okay. okay. Panic Room. Directed I'm by dumb. Fincher. I'm done. No worries. Move no on. worries. Okay. So I had no idea that Kimmy was penned by David Kep. And also it's interesting because that is a, a, uh, a, a union between David Kep and director Steven Soderbergh. That is Kimmy coming out on HBO Max on February 10th. It's 
pretty interesting because Soderbergh has this really cool development deal with HBO Max. They've released his last couple of movies via that platform. Very, very cool. Bruce, do you like oh you don't have HBO Max, but are you are you missing out on these Steven Soderbergh films? Are you were you are you not a huge Soderbergh fan? Um, I like Soderbergh. Soderbergh is he makes so much stuff and he's always trying different things out. So I generally do like his stuff for sure. I watched that one recently he did, what was on the iPhone? Um I can't remember the name of it anymore. Oh right, right. Uh, I forgot the thriller. That. Yeah, yeah, I, I forgot that the one with Claire Foy in it, I believe, yes. or something like that. So that movie is yeah. actually pretty good. Okay. Um, anyway, beside the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like him generally. So, yeah. So, what is your what is your movie for February eleventh, Bruce? So mine is by IFC. It's called Catch the Fair One, by and it's directed by I might be saying this name totally wrong. Uh, Joseph Kubota Lidiakia. I can't say it. It's terrible. Nailed it. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, and it stars it stars Callie Reese, and this is what kind of drew me to it: is that she appears to be an actual uh, boxer, and um, she's really interesting looking. Uh, you know, just like tatted up and pierced, and looks really tough. And um, she plays the main character in this, uh, Kaylee. And from what I'm reading about this one, is um, she is an indigenous uh, woman boxer in real life, but also in this role. And she discovers that her little sister might have got disappeared into the world of sex trafficking. And she deliberately enters herself into this world to try to get her back or get revenge, depending on what she finds out. Um, and it looks like it could be a really streamlined, gritty, independent, like, you know, crime thriller. Uh, and I really, really, from what I could see, I mean, it could be terrible too. Well, what I can see, um, Callie Reese looks like she has a really, really interesting, cool charisma for that kind of role. Uh, and I was thinking recently, we just saw a clean, <laughs> which was kind of trying to do the same thing. And this looks so much more interesting to me when I saw the preview for it. And I'm, I have hopes for this. This could be um, kind of a, a sleeper hit. So I, I know that uh, people listening to this don't often like to watch trailers. I would say, watch this trailer. This is a good example of a trailer that can kind of get you interested and says almost nothing about the movie. It basically says what I just said. It yeah. says she's going to go in there. She's going to beat some bad people, obviously, and she's going to be in a dangerous situation. But it looks like it's that kind of gritty, you know, low budget crime thriller that's kind of tough as nails. And it looks like she's tough as nails. And um, I, I'm I'm intrigued by it. Oh, man. I My bad. I, I was... We had a cho choice between this movie, Catch a Fair One, and another movie called Cosmic Dawn. And I said, let's just go with this movie called Cosmic Dawn. So if you listen to us next week on the Find Your Film podcast, we will be reviewing for the week of February 11th, Cosmic Dawn. And it is a UFO drama starring Camille Rowe and Emmanuel Shrieky. So hopefully, who knows? Maybe I might actually see Catch a Fair One. And I'll tell you guys if that movie is any good. So that that was a lot of movies that we covered this week for the first two weeks. Anything else that you guys want to say regarding uh, cinematics, regarding the, these these next two weeks in February? Is is what is the second week? Is that a, the week of Valentine's, Bruce? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not good with this. I, <laughs> I have the... air dolls in my closet. So what, what's going on? You know. Um, yes, I would say one little thing. I would say last month when we did our episode, we praised and talked a lot about the movie Bell. Um, and we talked again about it in Finder Film. And I will have you know, if you haven't listened already, that one Anderson Cowan also watched it in the theater, and he loved it too. So see, we can even influence the other members of Cinematics. So listen to us. 
Oh, so Anderson actually gave it a really good review on the Film Vault then. So that's very, very cool. He saw Bell in the in the big screen again. If for a recap, both Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky saw the IMAX version of Bell about several weeks ago. They they braved the uh, the. You know what? I I'll, I'll be honest with this whole Omicron or coronavirus COVID nineteen thing. I'm just making an excuse. I know I'm I have the booster shot. I'm I'm wearing I'm wearing um, masks all around. I'm just. I just like staying home like a hermit. And I just tell all these publicists, yeah, you know, I can't go to your screening room because look, I, I'm just, I, 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 I'm just worried and I'm just trying to be safe, but I, I really just don't want to drive. I don't want to drive and I don't want to see people. So I'm using, I'm using unfortunately COVID-19 as an excuse not to see people. The only people I see are Bruce Berkey, Eric Holmes, and occasionally, and actually the only person outside my family I see on a regular basis is the aforementioned Anderson Cowan for Cinematics. And we'll be back in two more weeks. I think we're going to copy something from Find Your Film as we do these outros. Eric Holmes, a couple couple thoughts before we leave for this episode of Cinematics. You want to say something, Anderson, or, or something? Uh, well, yeah, uh, obviously, um, I, I don't have the uh, address in front of me, but do oh, send no. him more horse. He hasn't got one yet, and he wants at least five of them by the end of the year. So if you can send him five copies of War Horse, I'd be fantastic um i I, you know i I kind of feel bad about pooping on polystyrene if you like polystyrene give it a shot you'll probably like it a lot more Uh, i I, I always i always feel bad i always feel why why i never feel bad about that because i'm a sociopath a little bit but i i I wish i gave it i wish i gave it two stars i wish i was i was mean to polystyrene unfortunately i do really enjoy polystyrene i am a cliche as per usual by the way this Steven Spielberg gag regarding Anderson Cowan. Anderson Cowan is a huge fan, again, of Stanley Kubrick. And, you know, he he calls Steven Spielberg Speely, I'm sure, over the years. Let's be serious about this. He's enjoyed a couple of these Spielberg movies now and again. I'm, no joke. Here's the twist, Bruce. The twist is after making fun of Spielberg for the last several weeks, as you guys have joined the Cinematics crew for that first week, I've made so much fun of Steven Spielberg that I'm thinking, all my life, have I taken? I'm, not, I'm being serious. Have I taken Steven Spielberg for granted? I, I posted. I posted on the, on our Facebook group, hashtag the terminal is underrated as a joke, and I'm actually thinking the terminal is really underrated. And I kind of, I'm slowly. I have outside downstairs. I have the West Side Story screener and a disc. And if I play it, and if I like it, who knows? Maybe I might really fall in love with Steven Spielberg, just like, uh, I was going to say, just like Anderson, but he loves Kubrick. Do you think we're wrong on, on Spielberg, Bruce? Do you think he's underrated, even though he is an icon, meaning he's underappreciated because he's, no? Oh. No, he's not underrated. Steven Spielberg's underrated? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Come okay, on. I, I, Dude, Bruce, I, barely anyone even knows who he is. Oh, yeah. It's like he did produce tiring. the greatest movie ever made, which was Gremlin. So, you know, he, he definitely gets thumbs up for that. Uh, you know, Bruce, give me a give me a break because since my air doll left me, I've, I haven't been the same. Before we go, Bruce, for this episode of Cinematics, any final thoughts? Uh, yes, to Eric's sentiment to send five copies of <laughs> War Horse to Anderson Cowan, I say nay. Do not send five copies. Send ten. Send ten. Okay, that is okay. We're gonna end this Spielberg joke next week, and I'm going to go on a Spielberg just rampage and, and and tell Anderson and Bruce and Eric how amazing Spielberg is. Orson Welles, no, Steven Spielberg. 
Sergei Eisenstein. You know, no, no, no. Horson, Horson Wells. It's Horson Wells. <laughs> Horson Wells. <laughs> All right, guys. On that, on that May note, we will see you next month again on Cinematics. And also, remember, just check our feed for more interviews. I'm doing a lot more interviews for our Cinematics universe. And last but definitely not least, check out my buddies, my betters, Eric Holmes and Bruce Berkey, and sometimes myself on the Find Your Film podcast. Take care, and Anderson will be back momentarily. Tim, I'm a huge film noir detective fiction fan, and I'm just wondering for you as a cinephile, did you grow up a fan of the genre? And is that one of the many reasons why this project was appealing for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, you know, I'm from the UK and in the 70s, uh, right, well, in the 80s, um, I'm not that old. Um, I, I would watch, um, you know, Kojak, Wi-Fi, Columbo. Uh, and then when I started to really get into film, you know, I was I, I remember sort of being obsessed with Robert Altman and then watched The Long Goodbye and then sort of finding out my, my dad was hugely into um, detective films and then finding out that The Long Goodbye never did any business. It was a very sort of it didn't do very well at the box office and no one really enjoyed it. And I was like, but this is amazing. Like this guy is drifting around the film doing very little and it's a film and and I loved it and I loved that sort of that 70s flavor where the director they were sort of auteurs they could sort of do what they wanted and then I started to go back and see the sort of earlier you know the big sleep and, and sort of see how what they're like and to get that feeling and that that film noir which is very different that very sort of sharp lighting and the smoking and the fast talking and the fake tears and the you know and that was that was really interesting as a sort of, uh, as a style, as a, as a feel. Yeah. And so then I then, you know, like everyone watched the big Lebowski and then, then the whole thing changed again for me, which was, Oh, right. So you can take the genre or elements of the genre, sprinkle it with comedy and, and it worked tremendously because it, it's, it's such a seductive film, the big Lebowski. Um, I mean, look, it's very visual. There's beautiful dream sequences, which Last Looks doesn't have any of that. But so I very much wanted to draw on a couple of influences and styles. And it was tricky to sort of to land on one specific one, because I know that if I went one way with it, I'd want to because because the, the script was very different to uh, anything I'd read. And it started in a very quiet place, very minimalist. Um, and it took, it takes about 10, 12 minutes for anything to really happen. Uh, and then once he's on his bike and he goes to LA, then you're in, then you're in a very different energy. I, so I was, I was sort of acutely aware that if I shot the whole thing noir, it would jar at the beginning and there'd be certain moments that um, wouldn't work. So I peppered it in there. I sort of put the, um, you know, the, the, the stylistic cinematic tropes in there and when needed, you know, I put it in there uh, when I felt was the right time to do it. Um, and, you know, the framing as well, just, just to make, made sure that, you know, we were sort of quite wide in the first instance and then really tight and low. You give the character certain power at the angle that you do. So, yeah, just, you know, just I sat down with the DOP and we watched Chinatown, we watched Lebowski, watched Mulholland Drive even, you know, and just, just sort of, you know, you just get influenced and, and then you want to do your own version of that. So I was really also interested in the character of Charlie Waldo and the fact that in a lot of these type of narratives, sometimes the lead actor or actress, the protagonist is sort of a cipher and a blank slate, but Waldo, you're, is very, a very interesting person. Can you speak to that? Because you're trying to also 
while trying to uncover this whole conspiracy or the, who, the murderer, you're also trying to wonder, where is he, where is he coming from? And was that yes. another element that you loved about crafting the story? Because while there was an, an enigma in many ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, again, a lot of film noir lead characters is, is a man with no past, a man with no future, a hero with no future even, you know. And, but Waldo is, is very different because he, he, he's entirely formed by his past. We find him in this frozen trauma. Uh, there's, something, there's something not right. There's something he can't move on. It, it, he, he sort of, he's looking for some redemption. He's looking for something. We don't know what it is. However spiritual and naturalistic he chooses and eco-friendly he chooses to live his life, there's something he can't get past. And, and I loved that because I thought, we're telling the story from where we find him onwards, but you can't shut down your past. You know that you are formed by your past, and he he is a result of something. The reason that there's a sequence of events that have led up to how we find him, and that in itself is 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 fascinating because you don't quite know what it is because he's so embroiled in the plot, which is this murder from Alistair Pinch, and uh, and then he's trying to sort of honour Lorena. There's another character comes in. So he's sort of overwhelmed by this, these characters and, and what they want from him. And he, he sort of doesn't want, want any of it. Um, and then on top of that, it all comes tumbling out about his past and what the way he is, the way he is. You know, he's tortured, you know. You have such a talented ensemble here, but I'm going to selfishly ask you, what was it like, you know, with all these, we all know how great Hanum is and Gibson and whatnot and Lucy Fry. And, but I just want to selfishly ask about Paul ben, Paul Ben Victor. Is it great just having someone like that as part of your ensemble? And I just keep wondering as a cinephile, I just want in my separate fantasy world to have 10 to 20 Paul Ben Victor led movies, you know? And so what was it like, you know? Oh, so. he's, am- he's amazing. I mean, that man, you know, he's, it's like who, who, who can, who is the best person to, to arrest? Mel Gibson playing Alistair Pinch. I just thought it has to be Paul Wen Victor, you know, because he's got such a presence. He's such a sort of, he's such a strong, really centred actor. And when we did the big scene in the police station, <laughs> I said to him, uh, I said to him, as they're doing, as Anis and Waldo are having their exchange, I want you just to walk in and out of their shots and just walk around and just, just improvise and, and just react to what you're hearing. And he's like, okay, okay. And we did one take where he just went ballistic. He was just going, yeah, and he was running around. It's like, wang well, on, well, maybe that's a bit too much. But he uh, he's such this, like, wild energy, incredibly gifted as an actor. I mean, you can get him to do, ask him to do anything. And he just plays that role so well. He just, he's hardened and grizzled and 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 he's tough <clears throat> and he's incredibly professional and, and a sweet man, you know, just, again, wants to do his best, always looking to improve it. And he'd, he'd put down one of the best takes I've ever seen for an actor and come up and say, is, is that what you want? Is that, is that? I'm like, Paul, that was amazing. Jesus. But yeah, he's a, he's a one-off, that guy. He's fantastic. Yeah. Tim, speaking of one-offs, just, you know, we're at a certain age, maybe, maybe it's recognized right now, but I think just in posterity down the road, Someone like Mike Myers is going to be considered one of the just the great actors of cinema. And when, as a filmmaker, how do you collaborate with that? And um, you know what? I guess in layman's terms, what's the key to that kind of collaboration? Because you're you're working with such a prodigious talent, 
and what's it like for you and how do you collaborate? Well, I think, you know, you have to find your people. You have to find your warriors. You have to find like-minded people in the industry who are as sort of as as sort of passionate and as crazy as you are, whether that be a writer, uh, an actor, a producer, director, you have to find your warriors. And that's why sometimes I sort of don't really get on with episodic directing because it, it, it's someone else's gig and they've, they've got, they've set it all up. Someone with Mike Myers, I, I met him three years ago and um, we just giggled. We're two geeks. We find everything the same funny. And so we're on a level. And so we share ideas and we text each other silly pictures. Um, we're cooking up this amazing show. And it's like, you know, I, he, he's older than me and I remember watching Austin Powers and as a cinephile watching it. But you get over that stuff very quickly because, you know, usually if they're brilliant, they're just normal, sensitive individuals who want it to be good. And if you connect uh, artistically with someone, then it becomes really exciting because you're like, wow, we're just the same. We're, just, we, we're after the same thing. He's, he equates the, the show that we're doing, that we're just having a cup of tea around each other's houses and, and this is the show we've done because it's all of a sudden you're, you're only interested in the creative and, and the ego goes out the door. And I think that's all part of it is you have to, you have to be okay with having the wrong decision uh, and listening to what they have to say. And I love it. I, I love it because it challenges you. You're always after a challenge as a director. And I've worked with people, it hasn't really worked out, and I've worked with some, which has been a beautiful union. And and when you when you connect with one of your fellow warriors in this crazy business, there's nothing like it because creativity moves very quickly and all of a sudden the ideas are flowing and 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 all of a sudden you've got something that you didn't think you'd have. So, yeah, so, you know, I'm just very open and, and interested in talking to people on the same frequency, I think. Yes, and uh, as I'm leaving, just very like very quickly, I'm so excited. Hopefully, do you think maybe down the road there's going to be more Charlie Waldo films in cinema? And also, I'm excited to read more of Howard Michael Gould's work. Is he a brilliant writer? Just from your you know perspective, he's fantastic. He's he's so lovely, and we've been we've been really best pals throughout this whole process because it's been a very hard film to get off the ground and 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 to see it in in cinemas and on demand. It Friday is 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 a is a miracle because. It's just take, the process has taken so long, like every other film as well, by the way. But he's just smiled the whole time and we've laughed and we send each other texts. Um, I would love to do anything. In fact, I texted him, was it about Christmas? I, I was a bit drunk. And I said, come on, let's do the next one. And he went, okay, let's do it. So we, yeah, I mean, if, if, it's, if, it, if there's love for it and the, the audience asking for it, watch this space. Well, that's it has definitely my vote. Thank you so, so much, Tim, for your time. And I really oh, appreciate it. Oh, you're so that. welcome. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Pleasure.